been talking about Matthew chapter 21, 22, and how important that is because something's happening there. And uh, Matthew 21 and 22 are the two days that he comes into Jerusalem a week before he is crucified in Jerusalem, Jesus. And of course, one of them is Palm Sunday and uh, where he comes in on the donkey and he comes in the second day. And there's four basic themes that he's sharing there, which are in there, but you have to study it to see it. But they're in there, these four themes, because there's a transition that's happening. And the transition is happening because God is turning away from Israel. He's going to go back someday. At least I believe he is. And they're still, he still hasn't forsaken them completely. But he's turned away from them to the Gentiles. And there's a transition there. And the transition is, part of the transition is the priesthood. Is that there's a restoration of the priesthood uh, what we would might know of it as to the believer, but is as to the it's to the Gentiles, and uh, that priesthood. One of the things that I have talked about is one of the functions of the priesthood is standing in the gap and making up the hedge. We find that in Ezekiel twenty two thirty. Ezekiel twenty two thirty is where God says. I sought for a man to make up the hedge to stand in the gap, but I couldn't find one. And of course, we know that the one that he found was his son, was, that was the man. And he is our high priest in his priestly function. He has made up the hedge and he is standing in the gap and he's ever interceding for us. And so we, as the, in the priesthood, under our high priest, today as the body of Christ. Now, one of the themes is the priesthood. One of the themes is the restoration of the tabernacle of David. Very much connected there. And one of them is building the body of Christ. Or the, uh, where he says the stone the builders reject has become the headstone of the corner. And I'll get to that fourth theme in a minute because... The three are predicated on the commitment to the fourth. Okay? The commitment to the fourth is predicated on the commitment to the three. They're inter intertwined. And so, uh, the priesthood there, where it says, I sought for a man, it still is that prophecy, though Jesus fulfilled it once, is still effective today. God is looking for a man. Now that man is the body of Christ. It's a one man, it's the one body. But he's still looking for the body of Christ to fulfill their purpose, their calling in life. And you know how I like to talk about the word purpose and I can talk about it a long time, but I just want to talk about one thing. The Greek word for pro purpose is prothesis. Anytime you see thesis in a God, in a, in, a, in a word, it means God. Theo means God. 
And so when you have prothe, pro means for, or to put forth. And a true purpose, the original word for purpose had nothing to do with becoming great at some sport. I'm, I, I hate to be busting anybody's bubble here. And yes, there can be purpose in that, but that's not the true meaning of the word purpose. It meant for God. Now, we can argue about whether you try to become great, great at your sport for God, you know, for God. And, you know, if you use that for God, if you use uh, some talent for God, then yes. But the original thing is you did it for God. And when you do it for God, you do it because he's leading you to do it. You see, it's for his glory. And so a true purpose is for his glory. It says when he saved us, it was for a purpose. And it says so, he saved us and he called us. We have a calling on our lives. We're just talking to somebody about unity. One of my favorite verses talking about unity is in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, where it says, uh, uh, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. That means I beg you. Uh, anytime, and then, you know, I, I, I used to think that this was Paul doing the begging. And then I realized this is under the, uh, you know, the anointing of the Holy Ghost. So I thought, I beseech you, I beg you. This is God saying, I beg you. I beg you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, Romans 12. You see, he says, uh, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. There's a clue right there. Paul says some things about himself once in a while. And he, I, I'm convinced that his desire under God, in other words, in the anointing of the Holy Ghost, is to say, I am hopeful that everybody believes this. Now, a lot of people say the reason he said that, the prisoner of the Lord, is because he was in prison when he wrote the book. Well, yes and no. No, that wasn't a real reason. He was in prison because he regarded himself as a prisoner of the Lord. We know that, and we know also that he wants us to have that same attitude because later on in that chapter, it talks about how Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, he led captivity captive. You know what that means? You were captive under Satan's domain, domain. You were his property. But Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, he led you into his captivity. That means you are a prisoner of the Lord. Now, act like it as an attitude, as an attitude. Okay, so he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beg you that you walk worthy. Who can do that? Who can walk worthy? Well, he's begging us that we do it. Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. And he says, actually, in the King James, it says, walk worthy of the vocation. You know, vacation, vocation is like a job. That's what you do for a living. But it says vocation with which you're called. 
literal translation is calling with which you are called. The word vocation is literally calling. And it says walk worthy of the vocation or the calling with which you are called. With all lowliness, that means humility, and meekness, with long-suffering, that means patience, forbearing, that means tolerance of one another in love, with all lowliness and meekness, with forbearance, with, uh, uh, with patience, with forbearance, walk, uh, uh, walking with each other in love. And it says this, endeavoring, say endeavoring, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know what bonds are? Bonds are like handcuffs or ropes or tie, being tied. And you, you, this is what you should have as an attitude with all your brothers in Christ. Is you must make be reconciled to your brothers. Just, not just in the room here with your everybody out there that are that is a believer. And you must see that you are in bonds to it. And what are the bonds? Peace. So it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who's above all, and through all, and in us all. You see? So, you see there's this, 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 this attitude. We need this attitude in order to do some things. We can't do it unless we have an attitude that we are the body of Christ and we are, as the body of Christ, are the man that God is seeking to make up the hedge. And now, you know what we're talking about, make up the hedge? You're hurting brothers, you're hurting sisters, you're hurting families, the hurting community, the hurting world. Until the body of Christ can stand in the gap, what does it mean to stand between, you know, Satan and man? You know, I heard Jeff Staples one time to say, the way to, to intercede, all right? He says, you have, if you're going to intercede like God wants us to intercede, and we're talking about intercession, you, you do understand it. Making up the hedge is a metaphor for standing, being a, a wall between someone and evil. All right? He says, in order to do that, intercessory prayer, Jeff Staples and said, wow, I, I remember this, well, probably 30 years ago or something. He, he said this, I'm like, wow. And he says, in order to be an intercessor, that you have to pray like um, you're, you're, you're looking at things from God's point of view, from the love of God, or you have to pray like you're looking at it from the devil's point of view. You've got to make up the hedge. You've got to believe, you gotta be, believe like God wants you to do it, like, like you're, you're doing like God depends on it. All right, now... It says this, you've got to make up the hedge, you've got to stand in the gap, and then he says, I sought for a man, but I found none. 
I kind of feel like he feels that way today. But I don't think it's going to keep going. Now, I'm not saying that you aren't interceding on behalf of the world. You should be. But maybe you're not. Maybe that's not a priority. Maybe that's not a vocation in your life. You see? Okay, now we're going to go to something here, and I'm going to share something more motivating. But, but, but let me, I said, I want, let me get to that fourth theme. One is the priesthood. One is the restoration of the tabernacle of David. One is the building of the body of Christ. And the fourth one is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy spirit, with all... I'll tell you what, I just want to read to you. I wrote this, I shared this one other time. But I, I, this is going to be, and I'm going to go back to this too in a little while. But you've got to be able to understand what God is asking this. Because Jesus is quoting from three places in the Old Testament. And it's quoted three places in the New Testament. Jesus, all right? And it says this. If you put them all together, it says this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy service, heart, soul. By the way, the soul is consists of the mind, will, and the, uh, the uh, uh, um, I knew I shouldn't have got off on something that wasn't written down. <laughs> Intellect. Mind, will, and uh, uh, emotions, will, and intellect. That's what the soul is consistent of. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy service, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy body, with all thy spirit, with all thy strength, with all thy ability, with all thy force, with all thy emotions, with all thy thoughts, and with all thy will. Wow. You see, that's where everything is leading to. That's what God is seeking people. You know, Jesus says, the Father seeketh such to worship Him. That's another big one. I'm going to share something with you that you may have heard before. Um, sometimes I feel like the little girl that did the Post Toasties commercial. And, uh, or maybe it was the Kellogg's cornflakes. I don't know. And... Uh, She's like five years old, and she's eating a bowl of cornflakes. And she looks up at her daddy and says, have I ever had these before? And he says, well, I'm not sure. She says, well, if I did, I liked them. So if I heard of this before, I liked it. But um, this is just this, this last week, this is something I was going over. And I got in a, started in a dream, and then I got this. And so I want to share it with you. And uh, normally I look it up on other places just to see if I'm in the right ballpark. But I didn't want to take any chances of finding out I wasn't. So I refused, so I refused to look it up. So here we go. There it is. There it is. Again. And uh, you want to get a little depressed, read the few before this one. <laughs> but I didn't want to get you in the wrong mood before I, before I said, read this. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found. Now, the which when a man hath found means the which when he, the man had found the treasure. Okay? When a man had found the treasure, uh, he hideth it. He's the one that hid it in the field. There's the explaining that a man hid the treasure in the field. And he says, And for joy, therefore, goeth and selleth all that he hath, and he buys the field. Leave that up for a second. We're going to go on to some other things in a minute. But this, I think, is going to be really good. But before I do, I want to go over to you something that has just uh, been... I just can't get out of my system. And you get, you get to be paid for it. You get the payment for it, which may, not, may or not be a blessing to you. <laughs> oh, by the way, Joe, Joe didn't share what he usually says. He usually says, like Roy Rogers says, may the good Lord take a liking to you, you know. And I love Roy Rogers, and he was a beautiful brother in the Lord, but I want to tell you something. You don't have to say, may the Lord, the Lord took a liking to you. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay. All right. My favorite verses, possibly my favorite of all verses, is in 2 Corinthians 5.30. Earlier, it's talking about being reconciled unto God. Study it. 2 Corinthians 5, being reconciled. There's a lot of big verses in 2 Corinthians 5. You know, verse 17, for example. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, all, be, all things have become new. But 5.30 is just a... And it says this. God, because he's talking about being reconciled to God. God, it says he, but it's talking about God. He hath made him, Jesus, okay? God hath made Jesus sin that knew no sin that you and I that I you I'll just talk for myself I don't want to talk for you that I might be made the righteousness of God in him okay wow talk about the overwhelming reckless love of God I always call it God's insanity. I think God's insane. What, what a bargain he got for that. He got me. He, I think he was kind of losing it. I like to say that God's insane, but I surely love him for it. I surely love him for it. And so... The overwhelming, I don't remember the first time I heard that, I went, what? What? Reckless? Reckless? God reckless? Well, Dr. B explained some of his recklessness, you know, and I thought. The other one was, the God is extravagant. His love is extravagant. I'm like, isn't extravagant wasted? Wasteful? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, you know, I, I, I wondered about that. Well, now I'm using one. God's insane. He's insane. And he's insane to make his son sin with my sin that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's called the great exchange. All right? The wonderful, 
marvelous, incredible exchange. Boy, you know, if, if, if you know, God is, if he, when he comes to dealing, he's not a good dealer. <laughs> you know, if he comes a salesman when, you know, he's like, I'll give everything. I get nothing. That's me. <laughs> you, you follow that? All right. Now, to, to go in the Old Testament to prove that, I've done this before, I know, before you think I'm losing it, like God, maybe. <laughs> in Isaiah 53, 5, it says, God hath made, uh, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord hath laid on him, all we like sheep have gone astray, every one of us has gone our own way, but the Lord hath laid on him, that being the Messiah, to come, this is the Old Testament, the iniquity of us all. You see that? God hath made him to be sin. Now God gets even crazier. God's getting even more insane. When he says in the verse 10 of Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He's talking about the Messiah when he made him sin. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. There's other verses that talk about how God hath poured out the wrath for all mankind on his son. All the evil things that we've ever done or any the world has ever done, God has poured out. That, that, that word says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That word bruise means crush. God the Father crushed the Son. And it pleased Him to do it. What? What? Now it's one of those best of times and the worst of times because I think it was one of the most difficult things. The Father, well, He'd never done it before. And nothing like it. And nothing again. I'm convinced that the angels in heaven were quaking in their boots because they never thought it would even work. They thought, he would, they thought God had lost it. Man, he's going out of his mind. You know, and this isn't going to work. To split up the Godhead like this, that ain't going to work. All right? Now, I'm going to add a little bit to the mix, okay? Because, see, God didn't make... Jesus sin with my sin that I might be made the righteousness of God alone. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure. Do you know who the treasure is? Us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We're the treasure. All right? It says, he, 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 a rich man, it says, in which, in which, when a rich man found the treasure, that's us, that's me, I'm the treasure. I'm going to just single this out for a minute. I'm not saying it, it doesn't apply to you, it does. But I'm just going to be personal about it. I'm the treasure. Okay, you get that? All right. You can say it with me. Say, I'm the treasure. No, you're supposed to say, you're the treasure. I didn't... No, no, that's okay. I'm the treasure, okay? It says, in which when he found, he hid the treasure, and for, what does it say? Joy. Joy, therefore, he goes and sells 
all that he had to buy that field. All right, now this is a metaphor, and I've read stories about these, these, uh, so, uh, these uh, proverbs before and everything, and there's different things that people say. That's why I didn't want to read any more, because I just wanted to tell you what it really means. You can take it or believe it. You can, you can, let, you can shine it on if you want. The field is the world. The treasure is me. So you see, what did he, he sold all that he had. Not only sold, how many people go out and sell everything you have and you're going to have joy doing it? He sold everything. What did he sell? His son. That was all he had. He sold his son to buy the world. Notice this. Now let's go back to he hath made him sin. He had made his son sin with the world. The world sin. That he might buy, that I individually might be made the righteousness of God in him. He didn't just, do you get the picture what I'm saying here? He didn't just make Jesus sin with my sin. He, no, forget all y'all, forget it. That's Southern, y'all, all y'all. You know, y'all is singular, all y'all is plural. Okay. Forget all y'all. I'm the treasure. God bought the world to save me. For the joy, he spent it all to buy the world, not to save. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, he didn't say the world would receive it. He bought the whole world to save me. Talk about overwhelming, reckless, insanity, love of God. How much does he love me? He loves me to buy the entire world to save me. Not the world, me. You understand? Now that's whosoever believes. And he would have died to save just me. He would have, if I was the only one. That's incredible. All right, now, you see, for the joy that was set before him, the joy, he sold it all. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. You see, you see how that says that? All right, next verse, please. And you guys know, most of you know, who study the Bible, what's coming next. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went out and sold all that he had to buy it. Okay? Let's stop right there. Stop right there. All right, now we could just be seeing the same thing here, you know, that Jesus, that this is another metaphor of God. If it is, there's a double meaning in that. Because, see, he, he chooses us. But we choose him. Both are true. 
You see, he chooses us first, but we choose him. You see, the, see I'm the treasure. Jesus is the pearl. Do you know what the heaven, I was just reading this, it's in Revelation 21, 21. Do you know what heaven is made up of gates all around? There's 12 of them. 12 pearls. 12 pearls. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the pearl. He's the pearl that when we see how great he is, we're willing to sell everything to buy it. You see, that's why Jesus says to the rich young ruler, he says, go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. All right. Now, here's the deal. All right. Because this is just really great. When he says, Jesus says to the rich young ruler, he says, first, he says, well, have you done this? Have you honored your father and your mother and you've done this and you've done this? I've done it all since my birth, you know? And he says, okay, well, he's rich. He says, well, there's one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and come and follow me. And I, I shared the story in, in, the, in the movie, The Greatest Story Ever Told. And, and it, that's, that encounter goes between Jesus and Lazarus in that, which it didn't happen in the Bible that way. But it's still pretty cool because when he tells Lazarus, go and sell, you're a rich man, that can be a burden. Go and sell all that you have and then you come follow me. And this guy doing playing Lazarus, I, I thought, I just, I'm overwhelmed by the, the beautiful performance he goes. He looks at, and he looks at his sisters, Mary and Martha, and then he goes over and he looks at the other disciples and he says, who can do such a thing? And I'm thinking, when I saw that, I was thinking, who could do such a thing? Who could do such a thing? It's just being honest. What would you do if I said, uh, you go and sell all that you have and come and follow me? Well, I know exactly what I would be thinking if I, if I was you. you know? <laughs> there was a, there was a uh, song by Bob Dylan it was called 115th Dream, and it's totally about hypocrites. And it was a dream he had, he said, all right? It was about hypocrites. And one of the lines in it, to give you kind of a picture, is they come over on a ship, and then their captain, Ahab, gets arrested and thrown in jail. And then there's this one place where uh, they're trying to decide, <laughs> should they go and try to help their captain and maybe get thrown in jail themselves? And so they got to come up, should I go to the jail? Or should I go to the ship? So we flipped a coin and it came up tails. So it rhymes with sail. So we decided to go back to the ship. Don't you get it? Instead of rhymes with jail, it rhymes with sail. So we decided to go back to the ship. The hypocrisy in that. You see the hypocrisy? Well, they, they go out and they try to raise a little money. So they're going from door to door trying to raise money to get to bail out their captain. And they get to this house and they say, you know, the guy says, get lost. And they say, you know, they, did, they denied Jesus too. And, he, and, he, and the guy says, yeah, but you ain't him. 
<laughs> and I know that what you'd be thinking if I was you, if I would say, sell everything you have and come and follow me, uh, <laughs> you ain't him. <laughs> well, they didn't know he was him either. <laughs> you know? The, the apostles, the first one was Nathaniel, says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was the first one that came up with it. And he was the one that was supposed to be so skeptical. Didn't he a good thing come out of Nazareth? Would you, would you sell everything you have and come and follow me? I wouldn't if I was you. <laughs> I wouldn't ask you to, ever. Jesus had a lot of nerve. You'd think he was like the Son of God or something, <laughs> you know. Jesus says, sell everything you have and come and follow me. He goes away and Jesus cries, weeps. And he says, it is harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And look, you know, I, I used to tell you, I used to heard, thought that was the back gate of the thing and everything. No, it was a needle. Real needle, real camel, not possible. Not possible. When Lazarus says, who can do such a thing? Pretty much not possible. And the person that does do it is really wacko. You know? All right. I'm going to say this one more time. When we see that Jesus is the great pearl, we'll go out and sell everything we have, metaphorically, to buy it, to buy him. Right. Now, it could be meaning that Jesus, the same parable as the last meaning, but there would be a double meaning in that because Jesus said to the rich young ruler, go out and sell everything you have and come and follow me. Now, I read this a while ago. I'm going to read it one more time and then I'm going to say something that is going to be true. The whole thing that Jesus is dying for for the Gentiles, the end goal, the end play, is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy service, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy body, with all thy spirit, with all thy strength, with all thy ability, with all thy force, with all thy emotions, with all thy thoughts, and with all thy will. Intentions and attentions Wow. Not possible. Any more than it is for a rich man to go through an eye of a needle. Not possible. The difficulty for a rich man is not even close than doing this. Do you understand what I'm saying? Go out and sell all you have and come and follow me. Compared to loving God with all of this, that's a piece of cake. So if it was hard for a rich man, but what does God say? They start saying, they, the disciple says, well, who then can be saved? 
And Jesus turns around and says, the things that are impossible with God are possible. I mean, the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Now, that's an important thing. Now, I want to tell you about the little things first. Then we'll, we'll close up with this. The little things, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. In uh, Isaiah 28, it talks about line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And you think it's talking about growing in the Lord because other verses that use that same analogy is talking about growing in the Lord. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. It was actually talking about backsliding, literally. Because the same truth is truth, whether it's about going backwards or forward. The same commitment. Line upon line, precept upon precept. It's, in other words, it's a little bit at a time, and the next thing you know, whammo. Well, growing in the Lord is the same way. It's a little bit at a time. That's one point of truth. But there's another point of truth. Because what God asks of us is impossible. Line up on nine, precept over precept. That's okay. That's, that's possible. You know, here little, there little, growing in the Lord. But loving God with all our hearts, mind, body, soul, spirit. Selling all we have and coming and following Him. That is not possible. But the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Why does he ask these things of us? It's because we have to get his help to do it. <laughs> we have to depend entirely. To walk on the water, you got to depend on God. See, God wants you to do things that are impossible. But it's impossible without him. That's why Romans... 7 says what it says. Everyone in here should think when you're, Romans 7 should be your, one of your favorite verses, uh, chapters in the Bible. Is any, do, how many of you here know what I'm talking about in Romans 7? Three of you? Well, now you know there's a, there's a favorite verse for the rest of you. It's been one of mine ever since I read it. Paul says, the things I don't want to, talking about as a Christian, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. We are wretched men indeed. And if you haven't walked that walk, then you're in some other faith than I am. Man, I'm a wretched man. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And I'm talking about serving God. That's what it's talking about. That's what Paul is talking about. Oh, wretched man that I am. And then he says, oh, but thanks be unto God. Thanks be unto God. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after flesh, but after spirit. But that's, that part's not even in there. It just says there's no condemnation. It's not in there there. It just says there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. And it is possible. 
God, Jesus is saying this transition in Matthew 21 and 22, this is happening because I am doing this. I am dying for you so that you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. And how do you do that? Because Jesus did it for you. You see, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. That pearl of great price is worth for the joy, the joy to get the treasure, me. He had such a joy to get the treasure, me. How could I not want to serve him? And even then, I still have to say, help Jesus, help me. Because I can't do it without him. I can't do it. The Holy Spirit, get down payment on the inheritance. The Holy Spirit, vine sante spiritu. I have, I have to bring that up. I have to. I, I told you that. There's a song called Vene Sante Spiritu, or Vene Sante Spiritu. It uh, means uh, come Holy Spirit. Vene, come. Uh, sante means sanct sanctified. Holy, it's Latin. Spiritu means spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I only bring that up because I, I said that to Norman. What is Vene Sante Spiritu? He says, I failed Latin in, in uh, Bible college. And I said, I'm going to tell everybody I can. I am going to tell everybody. He starts laughing. I said, well, I ain't kidding. He says, I know it. <laughs> so I, he had to take it through summer school. <laughs> oh, I think that's just funny. Uh, I, 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 I do a lot of things that way. Uh, I love that guy. <laughs> what a man of God. What a beautiful brother. Hallelujah. Alright. How can we buy, how can we find a pearl and want to spend all that we have to get it? Because he spent all, not just to get me, he bought the whole world just to save me. Wow. How can I, how can we be the man to make up the hedge? To stand in the gap? Because he bought the whole world to save me. How could I not? How could I sell everything I have and follow him? Because he sold everything he had to buy me, to buy the world to get me. Wow! And yet, it's still impossible. But you see, God will help you. The Holy Spirit will help you. That's what's incredible about it, is if you don't even want to, He'll even help you with that. Amen. All you got to do is say, I, I don't desire you the way that I should, Lord. Give me the desire. He says, okay. He'll do that. Hello? Yes. Yes. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for your insanity extravagance your reckless love hallelujah glory to God you love us so much I thank you Lord that you are insane reckless overwhelming I love you for it I love you for loving me this much 
I don't understand it, and I don't even still see how it's possible. How could you do this? How could you even say, it pleased you to do it? How could that be? God of the universe, creator of everything, loves me enough to buy the world to save me. He pours out, you pour out your wrath on your son so that your wrath doesn't have to be poured out on me. You made your, sin, your son sin so that I made the righteousness of God in him. How can that be? Oh Lord, help us to see. Help us, oh Lord, to see how wonderful you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen.